Father, it is so nice to be able to rest in your presence, to bask in your sunshine where we feel your love, and it just radiates upon our hearts, and that's what we got to do tonight, and it's just marvelous. You are truly good. We come and we sing these songs to you, not for what we can get, but because you are great and you deserve praise and honor. And it's so wonderful to sing about how good you are and your love like we sang. But it's really nice when you kind of almost bounce that back upon us and fill us. We need to be filled. So fill us some more. That'd be great. Just overwhelming where just kind of like what you say where it says it'll bubble up from deep within and and spill out. That's what we want, God, to spill out. We're so full of your love. Um, where where it affects each other too. <laughs> Please. That's that's nice. Mm. Ah, we praise you. Now we ask that you teach us from your word and because uh, we really want to love you more. Thank you. Amen. Okay, we're in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11, but I want to read something first. Okay. Um, let's see here. Doris Lane, Charles' wife, invited some people to dinner. Okay. And at the table, she turned to her six-year-old daughter and said, Would you like to say a blessing? I wouldn't know what to say, the little girl replied. Just say what you hear mommy say. The mother said. The little girl bowed her head and said, Dear Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? (laughs) Where's the love there, right? Uh, It's, uh, (laughs) we want to be full of the love of God. And uh, because We need it. We need God's love. I want to read something from John MacArthur. He's going to address something that maybe is a little different than what we've heard before. Listen to what he says. He says, I recently overheard a radio talk show psychologist attempting to give a caller an ego boost. God loves you for what you are. You must see yourself as someone special. After all, you are special to God. But that misses the point entirely. God does not love us for what we are. He loves us in spite of what we are. He does not love us because we are special. Rather, it is only his love and grace that give our lives any significance at all. That may seem like a doleful perspective to those raised in a culture where self-esteem is elevated to the supreme virtue, but it is, after all, precisely what Scripture teaches. Psalm 106.6, we have sinned like our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have behaved wickedly. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind Take us away, Isaiah 64, 6. God loves because he is love. Love is essential to who he is. Rather than viewing his love as proof of something worthy in us, we ought to be humbled by it. Uh, God loves us because he is love. And because of that, we are special. Not because there's something in me that's great, but because God is great and he's full of love. But then 
we, so we see then that we need God's love. Does that make sense? Um, okay, so look at our passage, and we're going to see how all that works. Okay, so Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, he's still continuing basically his greeting, but giving a thanksgiving and a prayer here. We started seeing that in verses 3 through 6 last week, and now he's concluding that, but just you can feel Paul's heart, can't you? What he thought about these Philippians, and, uh, but what we see from it as well is that we need God's love, all right? So let's walk through the passage and hope this thing works. Real love comes from God. That's what we see in verses 7 and 8, that real love comes from God. By the way, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. So every good and perfect gift. So love, real love, sounds like a good and perfect gift, don't you think? So it comes from God. Uh, And that's what we see in our passage as well. Um, Real love comes from God. So I want to just start out and just ask if anyone would like to share uh, 30 seconds or less of how you received God's love from God. It could be a Something recent, maybe when you got saved, some powerful experience, but how you receive God's love. Who would like to share? Raise your hand. There's one. Here's a microphone. Oh, gosh. My dad died in December, and he was an abuser, and I was the victim, and when I counseled years ago, I needed to rock. I needed to lay on the swing and rock. I couldn't sit on the swing and rock. I needed to lay on the swing and rock. And I did. I rocked for weeks. And we just came back from a cruise. And the first three days of the cruise were bumpy and rocky. And he rocked me to sleep every night. Hmm. And it was just so healing. And I could feel his hand in it. As much as our friends did not like the rocking of the ship, I loved it. You were bathing in it. That's awesome. Thank you. Who else? Is there another person? Someone else want to share? Just, uh, here's one. We found our harvest family. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> And that, that was, was God loving you, wasn't it? <laughs> Anyone else? I mean, here's one, okay. Well, there's been many different examples in my life of God's love, but sitting right next to me is the most, uh, I don't know, special one, I guess. So, yeah, God's love found me a wonderful mm-hmm. partner. He did bless you, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So we need God's love, and he wants to give us his love. Okay? Um, starting in verse 7 here, we see that this love leads us to partner in God's grace. Look at how he starts it out. Indeed, it is right 
for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You see how much he really loved these people and uh, and he's saying how it's right for him to feel that way in his heart towards them. Uh, it, but then it shows here that this love that they had for each other and for God led the Philippians to partner with Paul in God's grace. Um, so they were receiving God's love, and then it kind of woke them up to see that God has a plan for them. And so they partnered in God's grace. And so you can just see the emotions of Paul being described here, but the end result, uh, it led to being partners in God's grace. And it describes a couple different ways. They're not opposites, but they're two different ways in which we partner in God's grace. Okay, so so we want to because he, he explains it, he says, uh, uh, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, it's kind of interesting how he, how he says that and how does that work. Well, see, first of all, they partnered in God's grace in his imprisonment. Remember, Paul is writing Philippians from jail. He's, being, he's been arrested uh, for his faith, He's in jail because of that, and he's describing how they apparently ministered to him. They were looking out for him. You see, we take care of each other. That's a part of what it means to partner in God's grace. We take care of each other. In fact, it's one of the ways in which God says in the end, you can tell who's a true believer or not. That's kind of a kind of amazing. Look at Matthew twenty-five, verse thirty-one. Here, okay, uh, Matthew. This is Jesus is uh, referring to the end, the great judgment day, and this is what he says in Matthew twenty-five, thirty-one. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. There's Paul. He can relate to that part. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then, we don't like this part, we, he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, at first, some people think this sounds like you're saved by your works. 
And of course, he's not contradicting everything else he said and Paul said and everything else we learn in the New Testament. If you look at it very carefully, it is not salvation by works at all because what really matters is are you a sheep or are you a goat? Okay, We all start out as goats, but when you're born again, you become a sheep. Okay, that's, uh, So that's the, it's by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, that we're saved. But that grace really does make a difference. That's what we're seeing in the Philippians' life. That's what we see here in this passage. To where you can say that the fruit of being truly born again is these things. Now, here's how it fits this partnering in God's grace, okay? Um, We take care of each other. And that is appealing to others on the outside looking in. Now, we need to be careful we understand this passage because look at verse 40 again. Most people miss verse 40 and they completely misunderstand this whole entire passage. Okay. Most people think this passage says we're supposed to go feed the hungry in the world. We're supposed to go clothe the naked in the world. We're supposed to go and do all these things for anybody who has need. And that is true. We should do those things. That is not at all what this passage is talking about. Look at what it says in verse 40. It says, And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, his brothers and sisters, Jesus' brothers and sisters. We are adopted into the family of God when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ, and we become brothers and sisters with Jesus. That's pretty remarkable and amazing, okay? But that means when we take care of each other, and people who are starving for a real family, <laughs> that wasn't my phone. Starving for a real family. They're, they're, they see how we take care of each other and welcome others in, right? So it's appealing. They see that, and it draws them to Jesus Christ because they see, wow, look at what Jesus does in people. Now, if they come into a church and nobody welcomes them and they see bickering and there's disunity and, and everybody just kind of comes in and quickly leaves when it's over with, you know, there's no fellowship, there's no real care and love. And if they don't see, you know, like if somebody's, uh, you know, needing help within the body, you know, the, the body doesn't actually help and take care of them. If they don't see that, it's not very appealing, is it? But this is one way that God uses. He, that's why it's so important that we are truly fellowshipping together, that we really are brothers and sisters uh, covenanting together as the body of Christ, okay? Because that's appealing. Now, that's one way. So back to Philippians, okay? So notice verse 7 again. Okay, he has this in his heart towards them. You are all... You, You are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment. They really, you know, whoa, our brother's in prison. We better go visit him, right? Okay. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Um, We defend and confirm the gospel. So the, the other way we partner in the gospel is we share it. We go out and share it. Kind of interesting, if you look at the Old Testament, their predominant way of bringing the light of God to the world was to be a, kind of a beacon on a hill, so to speak. And people were drawn in. Now, most of the time they were bickering with each other and committing idolatry and everything, so they really weren't doing a very good job anyway. But when they were doing it right, 
people came in, like the Queen of Sheba came in and saw what Solomon, you know, and the kingdom and so forth and how, and all that. And so it was a, a light that drew people in. But now under the New Testament, when Jesus, and we saw this last week, remember, the, um, the Great Commission, now he's sending us out. That's the predominant way in which we share the gospel, which we get the, the, the word out to, to bring people in. But it's both ends as we see in this passage, isn't it? We have to be a light, be a family. That's what's really appealing. But then also share outward uh, with the gospel, okay? We defend and confirm, specifically is what it says there. Look at 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17. We see uh, Peter brings out a truth that applies to every single believer on the planet. So, how many here would that not apply to? See, if you raised your hand, that means you're not a believer, right? It's because I just said, every believer, right? <laughs> well, okay. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. He says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So uh, the NIV says, be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that lies within you. So that means all of us are supposed to be prepared ahead of time if someone asks us about our faith or if when we're talking with people and we sense the Holy Spirit move us to share our faith, we can actually do it, okay? Now, if you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. Then get prepared. That's what he's saying, right? Be prepared. Of course, you don't just overnight, you know, there I am. I'm ready. I know everything I need to know. You know, no, be prepared. And that doesn't mean you have to know every answer to every question that could possibly be asked, right? But you're learning. You're And as you're talking with people, they ask you a question. You're like, wow, that's a good question. I'm going to go find out and come back and talk to you about it. Okay, That's a really good answer. Because then you go back and you have to do some study and then you have another option, to, time, to be able to talk to them. But be Now, by the way, he goes on in verse 16, yet do this with gentleness and respect. I mean, I think that's important, right? We're not, so he's, God's not calling us to go beat people up, right? If they don't want to talk, we don't force ourselves on them, right? But you're testing doors, you're talking with people, you're prepared, you're, you're ready to have a conversation with people about, by the way, sharing how much you've received God's love. You know, a lot of people could use that. I just visited a guy in the hospital today that really could use God's love. And uh, so be prepared, okay? But you do it with gentleness and respect. That's how he says there, okay? Now, but it, that's to defend, but also he uses that word back in Philippians here, and confirm, confirmation of the gospel. In other words, when we share, there's a way in which we share the truth, but there's also a confirmation of the truth. Now, if you remember from last week, which I know was seven days ago, if you remember... <laughs> When we looked at the Great Commission, we looked at Mark 16, and that was Mark's rendition of the Great Commission. I don't want to read the whole thing again, but I do want to specifically look at verse 20. Look at Mark 16, verse 20. If you remember, as he was sharing, uh, Jesus was commissioning the people to go, then he ends the entire gospel this way. And they went out and preached everywhere. By, that, by the way, that's all the believers. So preaching is not something that just preachers do, okay? Probably a better word may, might be proclaim or something like that, okay? Because, you know, you feel funny. I'm going to go preach today, you know? 
you're just going to go talk to people. But look at this. While they're going everywhere talking to people about Jesus, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed, there's the same word there, the word by the accompanying signs. So it's the word and the works combined that really grab people sometimes with the truth of the gospel. Okay, so, and this could be, in this instance here, it's referring to those miraculous signs of healing and prophecy and those kinds of things, but I think it includes, in a broader sense, any good work like Matthew 25 was talking about, okay? So, as we're sharing, we're not just telling them the truth, but we're also showing them the truth by meeting a need or you know, whatever, like, like, like when you go to Guatemala, you know, you're meeting a need with their, their, they need stoves, they need, you know, these kinds of things. So, so you're, you're doing the word and the works together, and that helps confirm what is being said. Um, you've probably heard this phrase, it supposedly came from St. Francis of Assisi, who said, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, that is bad theology, by the way, okay? Because Romans chapter 10 specifically says, how can they hear unless someone tells them? So you got to use words, otherwise they're just going to think you're a nice person, (laughs) okay? So you have to share the gospel. But I think I know what he meant, all right? What he meant was... If you're going to tell them, but you're not going to back it up with actions, then what good is that? And that is what the book's saying too, right? So you, you're prepared, and, and that's what's going to confirm the word. And so he, they were partnering in grace, both in his imprisonment, but also in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. As I said last week, they got it right. This is a really neat church. Book of Philippians is a fun book to preach through because you don't have to say anything bad about the people he's writing to. You know, Galatians, boy, is that ever a depressing one. Uh, just because they messed up the gospel, you know, okay? But here, they're doing it well, okay? So when he's commending them, and then he says in verse 8, so back in Philippians 1, for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, look at where the affection comes from. The love comes from Christ Jesus, This love comes as we receive God's heart for each other. That's what was taking place here. He missed them, wanted to be with them uh, with the affection that he had received from Christ Jesus. So here's how it kind of works, all right? You spend time with Jesus. You get full You experience his love, and then that leads you to reach out and love others, and you actually end up loving them the way God loves them. And they feel loved, and that's a good thing, right? It's a really good plan, don't you think? Okay, so we got to receive his love, and then that naturally is going to lead us to love God back and to love others, right? Okay, and that's what he's describing here. Just with that simple phrase, with the affection of Christ Jesus. His feelings for them came from Christ loving him. And uh, so we see this love comes as we receive God's heart for each other. Uh, Jeffrey Wilson and his commentary on Philippians, he said, this longing is not mere human affection, but is a love which is the fruit of his spiritual union with Christ, so that his pulse beats with the pulse of Christ, his heart throbs with the heart of Christ. As a man who is in Christ, 
Paul is gripped by the same love which Christ has for his people. And every true pastor feels something of this affection for the flock committed to his care. And that's what Paul's doing. But I would expound upon that. Every true believer, we receive the love from God and it leads us to love each other and those in need of the gospel. Okay, so... First point, just as we're reading his, his uh, commendation of them, we, can, we learn that real love comes from God. And then in verses 9 and 10, we see that real love increases as we get to know God. Okay, um, look at verses 9 and 10 again. And I pray this, and now he's going to pray that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so he's praying for their love to grow in knowledge, okay? Uh, so, So we see here that real love increases as we get to know and love God as we experience his love and love him back. Look at John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus is, this is his great prayer just before he gets crucified, his great prayer for his people specifically, and he teaches us something. If you want to know what eternal life is, he gives a definition right here, okay? John 17, verse 3. This is, is eternal life. Okay, so now we're going to see the definition, aren't we? (laughs) Okay, he specifically says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. To know God the Father, the one true God, all the other gods, fake gods, no love, nothing good ever comes from it. Okay, but the one true God, the Father, eternal life is to know him, okay, and his son, Jesus Christ, right? So that's what, but now he's not just saying intellectual head knowledge, right? You know, I know Abraham Lincoln had a beard, okay? That's not what we're talking about, had a nice hat too. But what we're talking about is this, not knowledge only, but a biblical understanding of knowledge where you're growing in a loving relationship, that kind of knowledge, okay? The loving relationship to know God. And when you really love someone, you want to get to know them better. And that actually increases your capacity to be able to love them as you get to know them. And that's eternal life, to to know God, because we're never going to exhaust that experience because he's infinite and we're finite, so we'll have an infinite amount of time getting to know him. It's awesome. So that's real love. The more you get to know God, the more capacity for love you have. Okay? Now, head knowledge doesn't necessarily lead to love. Okay? The Pharisees knew a lot, but they didn't really have any love. Okay? But this kind of knowledge, it, it increases the capacity to be able to love because the more you get to know the real God, as opposed to a, a fake one, or one you created in your own whatever, uh, the more you get to know the real God, the more you're, you'll be able to love him because you're just going to go, wow. That will be just a normal word for your every day. Wow, right? You, know, you could say it backwards. Wow. <laughs> you don't want to say it upside down. It's going to be mom. All right. but notice here this is a prayer prayer is essential to this spiritual growth here we see a prayer specifically a prayer that their love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so we see this prayer prayer is essential to the spiritual growth by the way we see this kind of prayer 
a couple other places in Paul's letters as well. Let's look at them. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. Should be the, just the book to the left there. Ephesians 1, verse 17 through 19. Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? I like to finish with verse 20 to read on. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. So what kind of power? So he's praying that our eyes will be open, will be enlightened, will get to know God better and better. You will, and specifically the hope of his calling, the inheritance he has for us, and the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. And what kind of power? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead kind of power, okay? That's what he's praying, that we will experience. I want that, don't you? I mean, to, to, because if you're experiencing that, I could see that Mark 16 stuff happening, right? Okay, so this is what... He's praying for the Ephesians that they'll get to know this. Now, he goes in a little more detail in chapter 3. Similar prayer. Look at chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. I need that. You need that? Be strengthened in your inner being with his power. Okay, that's what he's praying for them because apparently they needed it too. And then it goes on though. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Boy, I mean, he wants us to be filled with his love, to be overwhelmed with his love, even the sloppy wet kiss stuff, okay? All of that, you know, he wants us. That's why those songs were great, okay? He wants us. And by the way, I think it says the heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. So it's just talking about the heaven and the earth, right? Not us experiencing a sloppy wet kiss. I don't know either. Exactly, and it's good to be an artist, okay? So, but, I mean, look at this. He's talking about experiencing God's love, the height, width, depth, and length of the love that surpasses knowledge. He wants us to know a love that surpasses knowledge. That's, there's mystery there, right? <laughs> I mean, that, he's using our here in language to say, this is what I'm praying you guys get. And I'm praying, not just you guys, I want it too. <laughs> that we experience this kind of love from God. That our love, our knowledge of him, it just grows and grows and grows because real love increases as we get to know God. And prayer is essential. Essential part of that. So we need to be a people of prayer, praying all the time, okay? I mean, really, just, yes, have a daily quiet time where you're praying, but also throughout your day, talk to him. Receive, just stop and go, thank you, Lord, okay, let's go, okay? Because he's there, right? Um, so here we see 
prayer is essential. And God's love helps us discern what is true and important. Look at how, back at the Philippians chapter 1. Uh, he says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. God's love helps us discern what is truly important because look what he says is important in the very next verse. So that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. So God's love helps us discern what is really true and important. So often we get sidetracked with stuff that isn't important. Okay, That doesn't mean God doesn't want us to enjoy life. Of course he does. That very well could be the important thing he wants you to do is rest. Right? Okay, but... We're always listening to him. We're praying to him. We're seeking him. We're getting filled with his love. And then it changes our ways of thinking, and we're able to discern what is important. We see things the way God sees things. You know, there are a lot of different worldviews, okay, that a worldview is just the way people view the world, right? But people view the world differently, which is why there's so much chaos, okay? people viewing the world differently, bumping into each other. That's why we have the mess we have, all right? But there's really just two worldviews. God's worldview and the false worldview, which can manifest in all kinds of different ways. God's the only one that sees things the way they really are, right? All of us are skewed to various degrees as we draw near to him and the Holy Spirit cleanses us. We see things more clearly as we go according to God's word. This is God's way of viewing things. He gave us his word to show us this is how I see stuff. Okay, So we come in line with that and then we see things more clearly. But that's because we're receiving his love. He's He's helping us. He's changing us. And in this, we see that God's love helps us discern what is true and important. And it brings holiness. I mean, that's what he ended there with, uh, uh, so that, and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness, he goes on to say in the next verse. So, holiness. When you love someone... You don't want to see them hurt, right? None of us love perfectly, though, do we? But when you love someone, the more you love them, the less you want to see them hurt. How's that? (laughs) Right? Well, sin hurts God. That's what Genesis 6 says. Specifically said when he was viewing the way of the world just before the flood, which is very similar to the way the world is right now. When he saw it, it says his heart was grieved. The NIV says his heart was filled with pain. That's what sin does to our Father. It grieves him. And if you love him, the more you love him, the less you'll want him to grieve. And so you'll seek him to help you stop sinning. That's a good positive motivation, isn't it? Instead of, I'm going to beat you up if you don't stop sinning. (laughs) It's a, you're hurting me. And you're like, I love you. I don't want to hurt you. But according to this, it actually works. Okay? So we, we focus. Our main focus is on loving God. And then finally, God's love exalts God. Look at verse 11. He finishes it. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, in all of this, what he's just said throughout this section, it's to the glory and praise of God. It exalts God because, as we said from the beginning, we need God's love, right? Not something we can manufacture. It's not something like, I, I'm really good at loving. You know, no. We have to receive his love before we can even love him back or love anyone else. So God gets all the credit, right? 
completely. So we just, okay, I need your love. It's really like AA, you know? I mean, they have to come to a place where they say, can't do it. Got to trust in, forget the higher power, God, the real one, okay? That's, that's the point here, okay? God gets all the credit. We were actually created for his glory. According to Isaiah 43, it specifically says he created us for his glory. First Peter 2.9 says the same thing. Let's look at Isaiah 43 real quick here. Isaiah 43, 6b, bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. I have formed them, indeed I have made them. So we were created for his glory. It says the same similar thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here he's talking about the church, the body of Christ. And he specifically says, but you, speaking of the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Worship. We're created to worship, to give God glory with our lives and with our mouths and with our hearts. We were created to bring him glory. Uh, Wayne Grudem makes sense of this when he says, The fact that God created us for his own glory determines the correct answer to the question, what is our purpose in life? Our purpose must be to fulfill the reason that God created us, to glorify him. That's your purpose. Now, he has specific ways of doing that for each individual, right? But overall, that's our purpose, to glorify God, which is why, by the way, it's good to worship a lot to praise him, okay? So when you put God's glory, if that's why we were created, when we put God's glory ahead of our own happiness, we end up being the happiest. That's nice. Just like when you're worshiping, not for what you can get from God, but just because you are enamored by his beauty, greatness, and, and so forth. And then he ends up filling you. <laughs> as you're praising him. That's our God, okay? God's greatest command also reflects our purpose, okay? Matthew twenty two thirty six. you're familiar with it. What is the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So to love God must be a part of how we glorify God, right? If we were created to glorify God, and the greatest commandment is to love God. That must be a part of how we glorify God. We glorify him by loving him. But you can't love him until you receive his love, right? So we glorify him by receiving his love and loving him back and letting it spill out over and loving each other and taking care of each other and then loving the world by sharing the gospel with them. That's, once again, God's plan. Um, and that's where he's most glorified. I want to read something to you. I jotted this down some time ago. I knew a kid that was really messed up. He came from a completely dysfunctional family. His parents screamed at each other constantly until they got divorced. His dad never touched him or affirmed him. His mom married their foster child, so his sister was older than his stepdad. He ended up on serious drugs for years, even getting high with his mom. He stole cars, robbed hotels, and sold drugs. His nickname was Space because his brain didn't function normally. 
At 21, this kid experienced a double dose of God's love when he deserved God's wrath. He went on to college and graduate school, graduating with a 3.98 GPA. (laughs) The love of God is the only answer for the change in that kid. All indications show that he should have ended up in jail or dead. But I got to see that change because I was that kid. That was me. And I'm here to testify to you that the love of God can transform your life. You don't have to stay in that old junky way of thinking, living, etc. He really does love us. Let's pray. Father, we're ready for you to fill us with your love again. We do need it. This life is hard. We've all been beat up. Different things happening to us. There's no such thing as a non-dysfunctional family, I guess. So please fill us. Love us. Change us from the inside out that we would be holy and that that love would spill over to each other to this world that's hurting. Come and do that now. Mm. We do believe that if you pour out your love upon us and you change us with your love, revive us even, that will make a difference in this community and we long for your revival you've done it before waves of revival where lives are changed and lost or saved and people are healed and set free from the junk of this life come Lord and do that great work we're ready I do want to give an opportunity to ask, answer questions that you might have, but I really would like to sing first. And just as we're open to just receiving his love, let's sing to God and receive his love, <laughs> okay? Okay.